What once was old is new again. Today we're talking about apprenticeship, and we are joined by a friend of the Learning Geeks, Lisa Christensen. Today on the Learning Geeks podcast, starting now. Hi guys. Hi Lisa. Hey. Welcome Hi. back. Hello, everybody. Thank you. Lisa Christensen from McKinsey. I was just thinking, you know, it's so nice that like you guys can be from McKinsey and we're from Accenture and yet we can come here and be friends <laughs> and share. You know, it kind of reminds me of that story in World War II on Christmas Eve when they, you know, the two forces went out and played soccer. <laughs> and then the next day they went back to war. Crossing the ideological divide. Right? Yeah. I was for a while, I was experimenting with having a, a guild of Accenture people in World of Warcraft. And I always mm. thought it would be super fun if like IBM would make a guild of horde characters and we could go to war. I thought that that would be really fun. <laughs> Nothing you've ever you've, came I've, of that. You've, you've totally lost me. Yeah, I've yeah heard, it's okay. I've, All right. I've heard of Minecraft, things like that in Minecraft across different organizations. So there actually. are there apprentices in these games? I'm just trying to well, get us back on track. Get back on topic. Well, you know, I hear apprenticeship. The one thing I think of is Johnny Tremaine. Do you guys remember Johnny Tremaine? No. It was, old, it was an old book that you had to read during school about a, a – he was a silver apprentice to Paul Revere, I believe. Jonathan Light Tremaine, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Oh, right. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. And then Disney made a movie out of it. He, he, he put his hand down on silver and it merged his fingers together, but he still fought in the Revolutionary War. Good, like, young adult story. But that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about Johnny Tremaine. We're not talking about fused hands. Nor are we talking about a Jedi to Master Apprentice here. But that's what I'm surprised that you went that route and not, not our typical mention Star Wars at the beginning. Well, I did mention hands, and there's something about hands and losing and hands. And solo. There's well. hands and solo. Oh, wait. Oh, my gosh. Okay. Uh, actually, let, let, me, let me turn it over to Jake really quick. And Jake, I want you to set us up today because I know you guys have been, have been doing some research into cognitive apprenticeship, and it sounds very fascinating to us. So lay it on us. I know we're going to have a lot of questions. Yeah, I mean, I guess we could start about just a, exactly what is apprenticeship. Yeah, and good. I, I guess apprenticeship typically is, is, is a word that's often used now of new hire relationships or for someone that is, I hate using this term, but basically there's someone that's not as experienced in a role, right? I, I hate using the word entry level, but that is often what is used with apprenticeship. And when we think of apprenticeship, it's really an ongoing thing, not just a moment in time. So it's really a supplementary thing to the learning process. So it usually involves a one-on-one -on -one relationship or some type of expert and teacher um, and you're trying to learn a specific skill of what they're good at. And you work with them and you, you grow and um, use, use certain modeling techniques like scaffolding and, and modeling and, and et cetera. And that's the key, with, that's the key with, with apprenticeship, right? It's that relationship. Exactly. So, so to go ahead and, and bring it back to Star Wars, the, the Padawan follows his or her master around all of the time. And just by being with them and watching everything they do and participating in it, they soak up the essence of being a Jedi. That's what we're talking about here. You've got that relationship with the expert. You watch them, you help, you participate, and therefore you learn. Exactly. And eventually the master goes away. Right. And and hopefully the other person becomes the master in that specific subject. Um, 
So anyway, last year what we did, we we did a pretty big study to help us understand how the pandemic is impacting apprenticeship for us internally, but also to understand the implications for the larger L&D and talent community. Um, and as many organizations are progressing to a world where we are working in a more hybrid way, as well as teams are diverse with different backgrounds and skills. So when we did the research, we figured out uh, a couple themes, and I'm just going to touch on a couple here. But number one, apprenticeship relationships are very dependent on informal learning opportunities. Again, so you right. can think of these as Uber rides to the airport, quick debriefs following an in-person meeting. I mean, these, these are moments that can happen easily because they're there. We have to go to the airport so we can talk. Um, but when lockdown hit, restrictions enforced, all of those moments were wiped away. Sure. And in fact, when we surveyed over 400 people, 82% of them said apprenticeship was conducted in informal settings prior to the pandemic. So a big, big impact. Yeah. And then second theme was that the demand on leaders' time increased significantly, which directly impacted the quality of apprenticeship. So as you can imagine, when more people are working remotely, you have more calendar blocks, more meetings, little informal time happens, and then everything is scheduled. So like I said, we have right. more themes, but the point is that relying solely on traditional apprenticeship, kind of like we're thinking of the Star Wars yeah. model, is unrealistic in a hybrid working world, especially when there's a diverse team set up. So if I'm working with you, Bob, you may have different skills or may have done it differently than I did. Yeah. So it, it's, it's hard to, to create that traditional apprenticeship relationship. So the main takeaway from that, that theme is that we think and we learn that there's an opportunity to be more efficient when you have these relationships and allowing apprenticeship to scale as an, organi as an organization grows and that uses a distributed model centered on cognitive apprenticeship. And this is why Elise is here because she's gone deep in this space and thought this topic of cognitive apprenticeship, which isn't new, it's mm -hmm. again bringing back the old to the new again, is a great for us to discuss and something that we think our listeners uh, can consider as part of their learning strategy. Yeah. So, Lisa, my first question to you is, what is cognitive apprenticeship and how is it different than traditional apprenticeship? Traditional Padawan Jedi or <laughs> right. Johnny Tremaine. Okay, it's a great question. It's a perfect place to start. Um, and so cognitive apprenticeship is a body of learning science research. And uh, so it's you're right, it's not new. And and actually, we're going to apply it in a really specific way in this conversation. So it, it originally is meant to take a classroom environment and make it an apprenticeship environment. So it, as opposed to, a, you know, a very formal like lecture base, the teacher standing in front of the room, you know, giving out information, this research was meant to kind of help figure out how would you shape a classroom environment into an apprenticeship environment. But we thought of it because it's got embedded in it a set of techniques that, you know, in, in the original work, it's sort of the teacher would need to do. Um, but it's got a set of techniques that help somebody become 
an apprenticeur of others. And so when we started looking at this and saying, okay, well, we've got a breakdown, right? We no longer have the experiences in which apprenticeship happens. So how are we going to counterbalance that? Well, we're going to need to bump up their skills and the skills for being a great apprenticeur, being an expert who grows other people, um, really live pretty clearly in this research. And so we're going to look at, when we talk about cognitive apprenticeship, it's a big body of research. We're going to look at one little part and that's the method. Methods. The methods for experts who are going to grow others. And actually, there are some methods for novices who want to who want to be apprenticed. So it's, it's this idea of a bi-directional apprenticeship, a relationship between a novice and an expert. And, and the idea is that, you know, we can get better in our everyday interactions, we can use those as apprenticeship opportunities, if we know what apprenticeship looks like, we know what it looks like to apprentice others. And we also know what it means to be apprenticed. Um, Okay, so does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Is that okay? It does. I, I have just a clarifying thing that I think I understand, yeah. and, and maybe you can shed some light on it. But the, the body of work that Collins and Brown and Holland did mm -hmm. a while back uh, that kind of launched this whole field of cognitive apprenticeship, what was revolutionary about it was that they took the model that was largely focused on um, almost blue collar type or industrial creation type tasks. Right, like um, ca uh, carpentry or mm -hmm. uh, the, the the wheelwrights, right? When they used to make the wagon wheels and things like that. But what they did is they studied how they how that uh, how those things how people were apprenticed under those, and they said, how can we lift this into something that's more uh, focused on like problem solving or right? right? And that's that's right. the big thing that's different, right? Right. The, the big unlock, I think one of the big unlocks was if I'm apprenticing you in, you know, the, the building of wagon wheels, you can see me work. Yeah. But right. if I'm apprenticing you in problem solving or in uh, stakeholder management or in leading great meetings, you can't see what I'm doing. You might physically be able to sit and observe me like sitting in the room with a client, but you're not going to be able to see how I'm thinking about trade-offs, how I'm kind of drawing back on a relationship I've had with them for years and years, how I'm connecting what they're saying to, you know, other things that might be happening in their organization. You can't actually see the work I'm doing. And so the, I think the thing that's really pretty revolutionary about cognitive apprenticeship, it's how do you apprentice somebody in thinking? Mm -hmm. How do you help build, uh, uh, grow somebody's skills when those skills are thinking skills? Um, and, and so the work that they did, I think, was really helpful in, in taking an idea that we know works. We know apprenticeship works. But what's hard about it in an environment with, in which lots of us work, the four of us are, you know, in a knowledge worker environment. Knowledge workers, right. I, I can't see what you're actually doing. You, and so this you is a set of techniques. You probably don't want to see what I'm actually oh. doing. <laughs> <laughs> Don't peel back my brain. There's some, yeah, something but wrong. But this in is there. a set of techniques that make the invisible visible, and that yeah. was a big. That's a big catchphrase, right, from their work, right? How do you make the invisible visible? And that's what that's what we're kind of trying to get underneath. And, and this is not exactly the same thing, but what comes to mind is the design thinking technique. Uh, I think it's called think out loud. Think out loud, mm -hmm. right? Where you have uh, someone who's if they're doing a if they're pilot testing a, a new computer interface. They, they describe every little step that they're taking as observers are watching. And, and so they're, they're making that, uh, the, the things that are kind of hidden uh, visible. 
if you will. Yeah, exactly. Well, let's talk about the techniques for, yeah, for a yeah. second then. So, so I would say that the, the four techniques that are laid out super clearly in the research, and we're seeing them play out um, as we start to bring this into the organization. Are for If you want to grow somebody else, so experts need to model, they need to scaffold, they need to coach, and they need to fade. So modeling is kind of what you're describing, Dana, right off the top, right? That they, that I need to be able, I have to give you something to observe. And the best way I can do that about my own thinking is to verbalize it, right? I talk about what I'm doing and I talk about why I'm doing it. It's not just enough for me to say, oh, I build an agenda before I go into a client meeting. That isn't enough for you to pattern. That's not enough for mm-hmm. you to model. And so I need to be really descriptive and clear about why I'm doing things, what kinds of trade-offs am I making? So when I think about um, how I'm talking to others, I'm giving them things they can model and pattern. And I'm trying to explain with enough depth and enough rationale that somebody could then go away and start to do a little bit of that work themselves. So that's technique number one is modeling at a super simplistic level, right? Uh, number two is scaffolding. So the, which I like the image of that, right? Building up scaffolding around a building so that you can climb to the top. And this is very similar to that. I'm building structures around you in your environment so that you can do more than you could do on your own. You couldn't climb up the side of a building. Maybe you could, but I couldn't climb up the side of a building. But if you built scaffolding for me and I got really brave, then I could, right? And that's, it's, that's a similar concept to what we're talking about here. You want to put support structures in place so that somebody can go a little bit beyond what they're capable of on their own. And that can look like people. You can give them access to a buddy or a partner that can look like a checklist that you give somebody that can look like a sample of a deliverable that you want them to produce. So it can look like lots of different things, but it's a set of supports that will help them. And then I, and then technique number three is I coach them through that process, right? I give them feedback. I observe them. I give them a little pep talk if they need it. Um, I correct uh, things that, that might need to be corrected, but I, I act as their coach as they are doing the work. I don't do it for them because again, that's not helping them build their skills and that's not moving them towards any kind of independence, but I coach them. I give them feedback. I talk to them. I pep talk them when they need it. Um, and, and that's really kind of the third thing I can do to set this apprenticeship environment. And then the last one is fading, which I I still find kind of surprising, but it's actually a really important technique is I have to know when to pull back. I have to know when I, when I say, okay, you no longer need this support structure. I don't have to provide this scaffolding anymore. I'm going to model a little less for you now because you, you are getting it a lot more. You're understanding a lot more. I, I don't need to pattern things quite as, um, quite as in depth, but fading is knowing when to pull back. And so if you think of each of those four things, modeling, scaffolding, coaching, and fading, almost like a dial, right? That you turn up or down as you watch what a person is doing as they're trying to grow their skills. And Lisa, you mentioned at the, at the start, it's not just, the unlock is not just the apprenticeor. Mm-hmm. teaching. And, and of course, they're using the dial, but there's also the responsibility of the individual themselves, the apprentice. So what role do they have in this yeah. dialing role, as well as all these, these the modeling, scaffolding, coaching? Yeah. And, and it's, an, it's a really important question, right? Because we said apprenticeship is bi-directional. So, so as a novice, I also 
kind of bring into this relationship some responsibilities. Um, we're going to bubble the kind of boil those down tiny bit different than Collins did. Um, as we've read a bunch of the research and we've kind of synthesized them in a, in a little bit of a different way, but we're going to say there's three techniques, essentially observe, articulate and act. So I, my first responsibility as a novice is I have to watch what you're doing. I have to pay attention. I have to think about it. I can't just be a passive recipient of information. I have to be a really active observer. Uh, so that's one. I've got to articulate what I'm learning. So just like you have to model for me, I have to model back to you that I'm getting it, right? So you you can only turn your dials as an expert if you know where I am as a novice. And so part of my obligation is to sort of say like, okay, well, so I get that you built the agenda and you're thinking about X, Y, Z, but I don't understand yet why you would do this. Help me understand. So I have an obligation to sort of articulate where I'm at and then I have to act. So the whole point of this, right, is that I am moving somebody as an, as an expert, I'm moving a novice towards independent action. They can act on their own, right? And, and so that means that at some point you have to step out as a novice and start doing the work, even when it feels hard, even when it feels really scary, even when you don't want to lead that meeting or you're not that excited about the thing you're being asked to do, that's how you grow. And so you have this obligation in an apprenticeship relationship to take action. That's part of your job. I, I go back to the discussion on fading. And I, as you were talking about that, I couldn't help think about parenting. And mm. uh, a discussion that uh, my wife and I regularly had as our kids were growing up was um, you have this balance between roots and wings, right? You want your kids to I have roots, that. but you also yeah. want to give them wings. And sometimes there's a, a, a tug of war going on because you want to just keep them there. And they're really like, hey, I'm ready to go. Yeah, and, mm-hmm. and at some point that comes to a head, like where they're going off to college, right? It's like <laughs> yeah. I'm going, right? But they still have the roots; they still have the foundation right, yeah. back in your back in your home. So anyway, I, I love that roots versus wings discussion. Yeah. I think it uh, has a little bit of a parallel here. And I and I like that. And and yours it must be a little different than mine because mine need a little push. Like, no, no, you're going. Like, have a great time. Uh, and so I think that's that sort of comes back to the dial, right? Like, if your novices are like my kids, they need a little nudge. And it sounds like if your novices are like your kids, then you can dial way back, right? They probably need a little less. So it's it's about thinking about an environment. How are you creating an environment around this person that is building their skills and moving them towards independence? Well, and another thought relating to that, the scaffolding you talked about, I like the way you said you provide a set of tools to them and that's the scaffolding mm-hmm. when when this paper was written initially there's a lot of tools that we have now that they wouldn't have had right like uh the, the all of the cell phones that everybody has and chatbots and the advancements in ai so i think there's some interesting possibilities to explore around how, how can you build scaffolding using some of the technologies that uh that we have yeah i was seeing the same thing even even with modeling and coaching uh, that we can use the technologies we have right now to do more of that. You know, I, mm-hmm. I, I do some of that as I work with people who uh, want to learn how to be better writers, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I will, will get an apprenticeship-like relationship with them. And sometimes I will say, well, I'm going to write and I will share my screen and you can watch and I'm going to work out loud. And, you know, 
and you can almost stream it. You, you could even do something with like Twitch, right? Like mm-hmm. You could broadcast out your work and narrate it. And there's lots of videos that are out there that are like that of experts showing how they work and, and talking through it. Likewise, with, with the coaching aspect of it, when somebody who is trying to learn how to be a better writer sends me something for review, I always, you know, Microsoft Word, I'm going to track changes, I'm going to use comments. I don't make any change without writing a comment and explaining exactly why I did that. Yeah. And and that's so important, right? Because that's that that's that getting underneath the thinking. I can right. tell you to change something, but that doesn't teach you, don't you anything. Learn from that. Yep. You don't learn from that. So if I tell you to change something, and I sort of layer in for you, here's why. Here's what I'm thinking about. Here's what how it will help you. Here's how it threads to the thing before. Like that that will make it. That's when you start to sort of lay down those neural pathways that are learning. Hey Bob, I know you've mentioned this in a previous podcast, but what came to mind is the the. A few years back when Bobby Flay was at the Maisie conference, right? And Elliot did a great job of kind of asking him why he was doing certain things and why he was mixing certain things. And so, I mean, on his own, he may not have done that, but, but Elliot was in that situation where he's, he was drawing that thinking out of him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Which is something that Elliot is really good at. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then what was amazing to me was then during that session, Bobby Flay brought somebody up from the audience who was a complete novice in cooking and uh, coached her as she was putting together a dish. And it was one of the most exemplary examples of coaching that I've ever seen. He did such a good job of getting to that uh, knowing when to coach and knowing when to fade Right, uh, th- that it was, it was masterful to watch. So uh, this, this, Last couple of minutes, I think what's been interesting is we've already been starting to think about tools and techniques that we already have at our fingertips right. of how to do this type of apprenticeship. But we're thinking about different techniques. And that was going back to the, the research and what we found is that leaders are having their demand is higher. They're, they're having mm-hmm. increased the time. Their time has been um, more demanded for this. And when we rely on traditional apprenticeship, we're relying on those informal moments, in-person moments to make this occur. So when I think of tools and techniques, we have a ton at our disposal right now to, to allow this to happen. And that's where this concept of, of a distributed model where we could have people like uh, I could be Lisa could be my apprentice or Bob, you could be my apprentice or on different things. And we may not necessarily have to be in the same team, but there's ways that if, Bob, you do your walkthrough demo, mm-hmm. and I could use a method of articulation and maybe record myself, did I get this right? Or let me get this straight. Like, I don't have to have a synchronous relationship right. all yeah. the time. And I think that's also a suggestion. Like, what, we, what came out of this research is thinking apprenticeship doesn't have to be one-on-one in, in the moment. It right. can be. But there are t- things that you can use these techniques, both as an apprenticeor and a, the novice or the apprentice, um, to actually get some of this practice in. Yeah, and I hear two angles in there, Jake. Is it, it doesn't have to be in the moment. It can be asynchronous. There can be some delay, like my leaving the comments in the document when I'm, I'm editing it. Um, and it can be a one-to-end relationship. It doesn't have to be one-to-one. So back to Lisa. Like Lisa, I, I want to go come back to you because I – 
we talk about these techniques and I think even to the listeners, they may think, well, yeah, I do this. Yeah, I've done this. But we also don't think it's being done well. <laughs> like we, we think we could do it better. Mm-hmm. And But what makes it so hard? Because we're talking about techniques that doesn't sound that hard, but what makes it hard? Common sense, not commonly practiced. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, common sense isn't common. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think there's a couple things. I mean, one is just time, right? There's the perception that this takes more time to do. Although I will say we are cutting some uh, video demos for a course that we're putting together. And when we ask somebody to do this, like just a just a kind of surface level job of modeling something it takes them about 30 seconds. When we ask them to do a really a really thorough level, it takes them about two minutes. So we're talking about the difference of about 90 seconds. So I think that there is a perception that time is a bigger barrier than perhaps it is. Um, I also think there's something that about expert bias. You know, sometimes it's really hard to know what you know, and it's hard to break it down. And uh, so it's it's hard to get crisp about why you're doing something. And a lot of times I think you don't even realize that you're glossing over a step or you're making kind of a, an automatic choice that you always make, but that that's something you need to articulate. And I I do think that that's why a bi-directional apprenticeship relationship is so important because, you know, I have to be able to tell you like, Oh, hold up. (laughs) You just, you just went from a to C to F. And I don't know what happened in between mm-hmm. there. And so, you know, I, I do think that there's, I do think that there's a level of expert bias. And then I also think that there's some, for some of us, sometimes there's just this worry about like, well, maybe I'm not the expert, right? <laughs> maybe I'm not the person who should be teaching people how to do this. Um, but that's a great thing about having a, if we could build within organizations, a really rich teaching culture, it wouldn't just be learning from me, right? It would be learning from everybody around you. And you could pick up the stuff you need from me that I'm really an expert in. And you could pick up from Bob and Dana and you, the stuff that you're an expert in. And it would be more of a sort of an apprenticeship environment than just a a one-to-one apprenticeship relationship. What I love about that is that I recall several times seeing people put diagrams on boards where it says something like, um, you know, process to make a cake. Ingredients, big puffy cloud, eat the cake. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> and, and you need the, well, what's in the big puffy right. cloud in the middle? Right. right? And right. sometimes experts just go from the ingredients to eating the cake just because yeah. it's so natural. And they, they don't stop and say, wait, okay. Yeah, you don't don't have to break it down anymore because you've become much more efficient because that's what expertise is. But in order to grow that in somebody else, you've got to you've got to take the second to break those things down and help somebody else understand, especially when it's thinking, especially when it's invisible. Yeah, right. And and we've all had the experience of having a faculty member in a course that was the expert and they weren't a great teacher. Yeah, <laughs> and it, it's also because, like you said, Lisa, it's very sometimes it's very hard to break what break down what you know, especially when it comes around thinking, because there's a lot to it, and a lot of it happens automatically because you've trained yourself, and your brain wants things to happen efficiently without much effort. Yeah, but that is a two way deal, right? It, it goes back to what you were saying around the responsibilities of the apprentice. And it has to be a strong enough relationship that the apprentice is comfortable asking the questions or interrupting and saying, hey, you skipped over something. I'm not quite getting it. For sure. And so there's got to be an element of psychological safety, right? That has to be a safe environment where you know that asking those kinds of questions is 
is the thing to do, not the thing to avoid. Um, and I think there's something about, you know, it's probably a conversation for another time, but like, there's probably something about trying to keep the evaluative nature of organizations out of these kinds of relationships as if I'm evaluating yeah, yeah. you while I'm also, while you're also trying to learn, that's, that's a sticky situation. So we've got July 18th open for that discussion. Okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> Come on back. What, one of the things that I, uh, as I was reviewing the, the research, one of the things that I really resonated with is um, at Accenture, we did this research around durable learning principles. And when you look at the cognitive apprenticeship model, it pretty much hits all of them, right? It, it includes the social element. It includes the generative. I mean, the social is the protege effect, right? You te- teach others and, and uh, you see the modeling. It's engaging. It's effortful. It's all those things that we know make learning stick. And I think that's, to me, why it's a really appealing model. So I know that the time is getting close, but Lisa, I would love, like, what what are, what could listeners take away from this? Like, what are some actions that they could do in their organization? Or even if they're a teacher at a, at a school, like, what, what are some things that they can do from this just to even start? Yeah, so I, I think it's starting to think about just your day-to-day, right? What are you doing in your day-to-day and how are you... Uh, how, how are you kind of embracing a mindset of helping the people around you to grow? So, you know, this idea of we're all teachers, that that we all get better because we're all making an investment in one another. And so I think even really simple things, if there's something you feel like you're really great at uh, and you would like to grow that skill in somebody else, to start to you know, have a very generous spirit about how you approach the development of other people, I think is really important. And and so if right now you feel like, I think there's too much sometimes in an organization of somebody saying like, if other people are succeeding, then I'm not. And, and this, this kind of, you know, work is really, is really the antithesis to that. If you're succeeding, then we all are. And so I think, you know, kind of trying to embrace a very generous spirit and think about what are some things you could start to do? How could you start to codify what you know? How could you start to make things simpler for new people as they are coming into the work? Um, But for me, it kind of starts with this like spirit of of generosity. And, and if we're all teachers, we're all, we're sort of all pulling each other up. We're all succeeding together. If, if you don't have that feeling, I feel like that's a really important thing to cultivate in, as a place to start. Thank you for sharing that, Lisa. And uh, it's very compelling. I'm, I'm super excited. I took down a ton of notes during this. And uh, I think it's something for us all to think about because I think we all need to get better at the making sure that the learning that happens on the job you know, that doesn't happen in the classroom, that that learning sticks and has more of an effect. And I see this as a great way to to making that happen. So thanks for sharing everything that you guys are working on there. Yeah, no problem. And, and, And just like even from my own personal self, Bob, like to your point, as we've been going through this, I realized a lot of my relationships were mentor relationships and not truly apprenticeship. Like I felt like I could be doing much more to get my thinking out versus just advising or coaching them in one direction. And so just even things like that, I think it's very much eye-opening sometimes to just go back to something that has been there for a long time and figuring out what you can do better. And and in a lot of ways, it's a beautiful thing to be vulnerable enough to express what's going on in your mind as you're thinking through something. 
right? Because right. sometimes we get a little protective of, well, I don't know if this is the way everybody would do it. And it's like, yeah, it's, that's all right. Yeah, vulnerability is key with this. Well, hey, I think we could keep going for hours, but I think it's time to wrap it up. So, Lisa, I think we just booked you for later this summer. Oh, okay, well. <laughs> so, we'll see you again we'll shortly. See we'll yeah. see about that. Maybe and, not on a and, Friday afternoon. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> right. Hopefully, by that time, you'll have all of the answers, and you guys have run you know, 18 programs in this and can come back with the results. So, um, we'd be happy to hear that. We can apprentice from you on that. But... In the meantime, uh, to all of our listeners, thanks so much for joining us. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Ping us on the socials, and we will see you on the next episode of The Learning Geeks coming up very soon. On behalf of Dana and Jake and Lisa, this is Bob saying we'll see you on the next time. Bye. Thanks so much. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.